Welcome to Southside Presbyterian Church. The following sermon was taken from our Sunday gathering. If you'd like to find out more, or if we can help you on your journey in faith, head to our website, www.southsidepc.org, or visit us any Sunday morning at 9am. The hand of the Lord was on me. And he brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord and set me in the middle of a valley. It was full of bones. He led me back and forth among them, and I saw a great many bones on the floor of the valley, bones that were very dry. He asked me, Son of man, can these bones live? I said, Sovereign Lord, you alone know. Then he said to me, Prophesy to these bones and say to them, Dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says to these bones. I will make breath enter you, and you will come to life. I will attach tendons to you, and make flesh come upon you, and cover you with skin. I will put breath in you, and you will come to life. Then you will know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I was prophesying, there was a noise, a rattling sound, and the bones came together, bone to bone. I looked, and tendons and flesh appeared on them, and skin covered them, but there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say to it, this is what the sovereign Lord says, come, breath, from the four winds, and breathe into these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and breath entered them. They came to life and stood up on their feet, a vast army. Then he said to me, Son of man, these bones are the people of Israel. They say, our bones are dried up and our hope is gone. We are cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says. My people, I'm going to open your graves and bring you up from them. I'll bring you back to the land of Israel. Then you, my people, will know that I am the Lord. When I open your graves and bring you up from them, I'll put my spirit in you and you will live and I will settle you in your own land. Then you will know that I, the Lord, have spoken and I have done it, declares the Lord. Good morning again, everyone. It's uh, really lovely to be back and to open God's Word with you again. So let's pray that as we do that this morning, that God, by His Spirit, would breathe into our hearts and give life. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank You that You are the one who speaks, and as You speak, dead things come to life. Father, we pray that You might speak to us this morning by Your Word. Father, we pray that You might kill the death that still lives in our hearts, and that you might bring life to our bones. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it seems to be, I thought years ago I predicted that this was going to die, but it seems to be that Australians still love renovation shows on TV. Um, I told a couple of stories about renovation shows and renovation on Fun and Adventure, and teenagers are so into it. 
It's not true. Um, but uh, we don't love renovation TV shows nearly as much as Americans do. So we've got The Block. They've got every other show. So they've got what they call flip shows. So, you know, Nine Life is pretty much all flip shows. So you know, the idea they buy a house really cheap and then they renovate it and then they, they flip it and make a big profit. Um, here's some of the shows that you can watch if you like flip shows. You've got Masters of Flip, Five Day Flip, Miami Flip, Vintage Flip, Flipping the Block, Flipping Vegas, Flipping 101, First Time Flippers, for all you kind of, you know, maybe one day I'll get out there, people, uh, Flip or Flop, Flipped Off, and of course, Downton Shabby. That's a good one. Uh, some of these shows are like this one. This is Good Bones. There we go. You might have seen Good Bones on Nine Life. The whole idea behind this show is that they find houses that kind of have some cosmetic damage, but underneath, these houses have good bones. You know, they're kind of structurally sound, and you can renovate them, and they're going to be really good. They just need a bit of cosmetic help. But other shows are like my favorite, Zombie House Flipping. So the whole idea behind this show is that they go and find condemned houses, Houses that are so decayed right down to the foundations that they're, they're going to be destroyed. They're, they're, a, they're a safety hazard. Uh, and so each episode, they find one of these zombie houses, and you think, oh, man, they're not going to be able to do it this time. Surely, this place is too far gone. But by the end of every episode, they've fixed it. It's amazing. You think, man, how do they do it? But what about this place? There's not a whole lot that's going to go on with this house. How can this house live again? How can all the bones of this place be put back together? It doesn't matter how good the builders are. It doesn't matter how much money the TV network throws at it. This place can't live again. This house is not going to be fixed. When you see this, you just give up and you start over with the insurance money somewhere else. Now, that's a feeling that we might have about a few different things as we look around at parts of our lives. When something's too far gone and we just don't have any hope that this thing could live again, uh, can these bones live? When you see that, you go, no, it's time, throw, throw it out and we're going to start again. Can these bones live? At that point, you go, no, we're getting a new couch, we're going to start over. Can these bones live? Gold Coast Titans. What a winner. What about these bones? It's where we are. This is Brisbane. This is our part of Brisbane. So much of the time, it seems like our city, the people in it, are just so disinterested in Jesus. So broken and yet so unwilling to let Jesus heal them. We can look around at our city, at our people, and we can say, can these bones live is there any way that this city could be brought back to life? We see people walking around, spending, working, playing, living, and yet so dead, even while they live. And we can feel so powerless to change that. Sometimes we can sit and just feel so resigned and ask ourselves, can this city live? Can this world live? That's the question that Ezekiel faces in Ezekiel chapter 37. In a vision, God takes Ezekiel into a valley full of dry, scattered human bones. And God asks Ezekiel, can these bones live? 
As we think about this question, we're going to think about what it meant for Ezekiel, then we're going to think about what it meant for Jesus, and then we're going to think about what it means for us today. But before we see what the answer to this question is, can these bones live, we need to do a bit of a rewind and look at the background to this book. The book of Ezekiel was written during the period when God poured out His judgment on His people for all the centuries and centuries of unfaithfulness that they'd shown to Him. So, a thousand years before this is happening, God rescued the Israelites out of Egypt and He brought them to be His people. And He gave them a series of special things that marked them as His people so that the world could look at them and go, ah, they belong to Yahweh. They belong to the God of Israel. Um, there were four things in particular. He gave them the, the, the covenant of Moses, the Sinai covenant, a whole bunch of instructions on how to live as His people. They had the law. He gave them a land to live in as their own. He gave them a king from the family of David. And He gave them the temple, a place where God would live amongst His people forever. Those four things marked that God was with Israel. They were like the, the symbols of His love for them, the symbols of his, the security that He gave them. But the problem was, those symbols became their security. Those symbols were supposed to be like a wedding ring. So, it's a symbol, a picture of the fact that it's God who loves them and God who keeps them secure. But those symbols became their security. And so they started thinking, as long as we've got the land, as long as we've got the covenant, as long as we've got this king, as long as we've got the temple, no one can touch us. It doesn't matter how we treat God. It doesn't matter if we worship other gods. It doesn't matter if we abuse the poor people in our country. God will still be with us. And as long as we've got these four things, no nation will be able to come and destroy us. It's like someone saying, as long as I have this wedding ring, it doesn't matter how I treat my spouse, they'll still love me, as long as I hold on to this. And so God sent prophet after prophet to warn them, but Israel didn't listen. And so finally, after centuries of spiritual adultery, God finally gave them what He promised to give them for their unfaithfulness. In 722 BC, he sent the Assyrians and they wiped out the top half of the country, the northern kingdom. And then in 586 BC, he sent the Babylonians in to take everyone out of the southern kingdom. He gave them the curses that were promised in that covenant if they ignored him. He took them out of the land. He put their king in chains and he allowed his temple to be burned to the ground. Israel was dead. Those Israelites who were sitting there exiled in Babylon, they sat by this river and they mourned, thinking that they would never see Jerusalem, they'd never see their country, they'd never see their God again. And so it's against this background, as Ezekiel sits by this river, that he sees this vision in chapter 37. So let's have a look at it. And we're going to start with this question, can these bones live? So in verses 1 and 2, Ezekiel says, "...the hand of the Lord was on me, and He brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord, and set me in the middle of a valley. It was full of bones. He led me back and forth among them. 
and I saw a great many bones on the floor of the valley, bones that were very dry. He asked me, son of man, can these bones live? God took Ezekiel and he showed him this scene of death, extreme, final, permanent death. This was not recent death. These were not, these were not corpses. These were not skeletons. These were disjointed, ripped apart bones. The flesh had been picked off them and the rest had rotted away. It's that picture that it's been like this for a long time. They are so dead. And then God asks Ezekiel this question in verse 3. Can these bones live? Now, if you've got an NIV translation Bible, the NIV words Ezekiel's response in a kind of you know, kind of respectful way, a humble way. It, it, it has him saying to God, Sovereign Lord, you alone know. And it could be that Ezekiel politely leaves the answer up to God, but the, the Hebrew that Ezekiel originally said has a very blunt tone to it. it. He kind of abruptly says, you know. As in, you must know that. Of course they can't live, look at them. Now, even if Ezekiel is being polite on the outside, you can imagine his pessimism on the inside. This stuff doesn't happen. But instead of answering the question for Ezekiel, God involves, invites Ezekiel to discover the answer for himself. Have a look at verse 4 and 5 and 6. Then he said to me, prophesy to these bones and say to them, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the Sovereign Lord says to these bones. I will make breath enter you and you will come to life. I will attach tendons to you and make flesh come upon you and cover you with skin. I'll put breath in you and you will come to life. Then you will know that I am the Lord. Preach to the bones, God says to Ezekiel. Now, Ezekiel is pretty used to speaking to people who are dead on the inside. He spent years and years in exile speaking to people and getting no response. But this time, God literally tells him to preach to bones. And the response that he gets from these bones is very different from the one that he gets when he preaches to people. Have a look with me in verse 7 and 8. So I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I was prophesying, there was a noise, a rattling sound, and the bones came together, bone to bone. I looked and tendons and flesh appeared on them and skin covered them. But even then, once these bones, these tissues had miraculously, spontaneously joined together, verse 8 says, there was still no breath in them. There was no life force. And so then the next bit happens. Verse 9, then he said to me, prophesy to the breath. Prophesy, son of man. And he'd say to it, this is what the Sovereign Lord says, Calm breath from the four winds and breathe into these slain, that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and breath entered them. They came to life and stood up on their feet, a vast army. The breath makes the difference. It's all about the breath. Just like when Adam was made back in Genesis chapter 2, verse 7. God forms his lifeless body from the clay, but life only comes when God breathes into him. And the result here is life, and not just life, lots of life, and not just lots of life, a vast army. 
Why an army? Why not like a, a debating club or, I don't know, like a sports team? Because they stand ready to serve. Now, what does this mean? God explains it to Ezekiel, because Ezekiel doesn't know what it means. It's not just about zombies. This is how a dead nation will be resurrected. Look at verse 11. Then he said to me, Son of man, these bones are the people of Israel. They say our bones are dried up and our hope is gone. We are cut off. Their land is gone. Their king is gone. Their temple is gone. And as far as they're concerned, there is no hope of them ever being God's people again. They're dead. They're cut off. But that's from their perspective. They have no idea what's possible when the sovereign Lord breathes. Look at verse 12 and verse 13. God says to Ezekiel, Therefore prophesy and say to them, this is what the Sovereign Lord says, My people, I'm going to open your graves and bring you up from them. I will bring you back to the land of Israel. Then you, my people, will know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and bring you up from them. Just like he regathered those dry, scattered bones, he's going to regather his people, he's going to bring them back home into his land, but that is only the first part. Remember how at first, as those bones were, were re-embodied and pulled back together, there was no life. That's how it's going to be for the Israelites. They'll be brought back into the land, but that's not going to be the climax of what's going to happen. They need God to breathe life into them. And that happens when He breathes out His Spirit. Look at verse 14. I will put my spirit in you and you will live and I will settle you in your own land. Then you will know that I, the Lord, have spoken and I have done it, declares the Lord. God gives life when He breathes out His spirit. The spirit's been all the way through this passage even though we, we might have missed it on the way through, the Spirit pops up in almost every verse of this passage. The Hebrew word for Spirit, you might know it, is ruah, ruah, if you're kind of phlegmy. But do you know what the Hebrew word for breath is? It's ruah. Do you know what the Hebrew word for wind is? It's the same word. God's Spirit is here in every verse of this story. This vision, this promise is all about what God will do when He breathes out His Spirit. And God is saying that when He breathes out His Spirit, dead things come to life. Can these bones live? Can this nation with godless hearts and scattered citizens live? Yes, when God breathes out His Spirit. So at the end of this story, we're left wondering, so did it happen? Did it come true? Well, there was some fulfillment in small parts in Israel's story. In 538 BC, there were some little groups of Israelites who came back from Babylon and back to Jerusalem when uh, the, the Persian king Cyrus set them free. But it was only a small number. 
They rebuilt a temple back in Jerusalem, but it was nothing like the old one. And there wasn't a moment like in the old one when God's glory descended and filled the temple. It didn't happen this time around. They had a descendant of David named Zerubbabel leading them, but he was no king. Ezekiel's vision was not truly realized until another man's body lay dead in the ground. And the question, can these bones live, was replaced with another question. Can this man live? The action that Ezekiel was looking forward to didn't really get going until Jesus came. When Jesus came, God breathed out His Spirit in a way that the world had never seen before. Jesus died, but not because of His own failure and His own corruption and His own pride and His own idolatry and His own greed and His own lust, but because of mine and because of yours. But three days after that, God breathed out His Spirit into the flesh of His Son And Jesus' buried body began to breathe. Jesus was raised to life by the Spirit of God. And He is just the first of many because Jesus is raising an army. Just like God's Spirit brought Jesus back from the dead, when you put your trust in Jesus, God breathed His Spirit into you and you came to life on the inside. Paul talks about this in Romans chapter 8. He says, if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, He who raised raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of His Spirit who lives in you. Now, that's talking about the future where one day God by His Spirit will raise your body from the tomb, but it's also talking about right now, He has raised your dead heart to live, to know God to love God like His Son does. Ezekiel, all those years ago, he was seeing Jesus and he was seeing you. Jesus is the new Israel. God breathed out His Spirit into Jesus' dead body and He brought Jesus back to life. He raised up His Son and now He is raising an army of all of those people who come to put their trust in Jesus The day that you trusted Jesus was the day that God breathed His Spirit into you and brought you to live. When God breathes out His Spirit, tombs are opened. That started with Jesus and now Jesus has breathed out His Spirit into you. Ezekiel was seeing this. He was seeing you. If you're in Jesus. So at the end of all this, we need to come back to that question that we started with, that that question, can this world live? Can this world, the world that we live in today, can it live? When we look around at work and in the playground and in the shops and on our street, it just feels so unlikely that people will come to Jesus. There are some days when I just feel in, in a particular way, I feel how crazy other people must think that I am for believing in Jesus. Um, I caught an Uber a couple of weeks ago. It was the first time I've ever caught an Uber. Um, and two things struck me. Number one it was, this is exactly like catching a taxi. It's the same thing. Um, the other thing that struck me was the driver's reaction when he asked me what I did. 
Um, you know, making that small talk that you all do when you meet someone on the street and you've got to talk. He said, oh, what do you do? And, and so I, I talked about how well, I'm studying at a Bible college so that I, I, can, I can talk to teenagers about Jesus. And you know what the response was? Just utter silence. Really awkward. And I just thought, wow, this is just so far away from anything that this guy's prepared to talk about or think about. I know it's possible for God to save anyone, but as I'm sitting there, in that car, it just felt so unlikely. I just wasn't expecting to see this guy be interested in Jesus. And so often I look around and I wonder about this city that we live in, can these bones live? And then I come to Ezekiel 37. I come to the tomb of Jesus and I see that when God breathes out His Spirit, dead things come to life. So what do we do about that? I've got three thoughts. Uh, They all start with P. Uh, Prayer, proclamation and patience. We pray for God to breathe out His Spirit. Prayer is the most powerful weapon that we have, and yet it's just the most sparingly used, isn't it? Like as if we think it's going to run out or something, we've got to save it up. Prayer is the most powerful thing that we can do, because we're asking God to do the only thing that will make a change, to pour out His Spirit, to breathe out His Spirit into these slain, so that they might live We pray for God to pour out His Spirit. We pray and we proclaim. We proclaim the message of Jesus. It's fascinating when we look at this story that God wants to show Ezekiel that the only way these bones will live is by the power of His Spirit. And the way that He does that is that He gets Ezekiel to be His mouthpiece. That's how He shows Ezekiel that things only happen by His Spirit, by getting Ezekiel to talk. As Ezekiel breathes out his message to these bones, it's when that's happening that God breathes out his spirit. God could have spoken to these bones himself. And yet in his wisdom, he chose to make the power of his spirit respond to Ezekiel's message. In his grace, he has chosen to breathe out his spirits into people's hearts as we breathe out our words. Isn't isn't that just so unnecessary? And yet amazing that God would bring us into His resurrecting work. In 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15, Peter says, Always be prepared, you might know this verse, always be prepared to give an answer to anyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. So, what do you say when someone asks you, what do you believe? You know, what's, what's being a Christian about? What's, what's that whole deal? What do you say? What's... Do you have, are, you, are you ready for that question? For me, I've got a little line that I've got locked and loaded. It's, it's nothing special. Um, and in fact, sometimes there's more or maybe some different things that it'd be better to say. But at the same time, I've got this in my back pocket just in case. Uh, and it's simply this. Um, when someone asks me, hey, what do I believe? Why am I a Christian? I say, look, I believe that Jesus can reconnect people to God. That's all it is. Um, I was getting a haircut one day, I was at the barber, and uh, it was a Friday, so I'm in there having a chop, and the barber asked me, oh, it's Friday, what are you going to do this weekend? And I say, well, tonight, and I was like, oh, okay, um, here's that Uber moment again. Um, well, look, tonight I'm going to go uh, at, at my church, 
we've got a youth group. It's like a place for teenagers, um, and I'm going to go and hang out with them. And the barber says, oh, man, teenagers. Like, as who, why would you want to hang out with teenagers? Um, and I'm like, I, I think this is that moment. And so I said, well, because, here we go, I believe that Jesus can reconnect people to God. And as I'm sitting there in the chair, he says, oh, like, how does that work? And I'm like, is this seriously happening right now? And so we get to have this conversation just about what it means that Jesus can reconnect people to God. Now, what about you? What do you, what do you say? What are you going to say when you get that question? It might be helpful to have something packed and ready to go. But at the end of the day, while we pray, while we proclaim, we need to be patient and wait for God to work by His Spirit. Prayer and proclaiming are not our way of forcing something to happen in people's hearts. They're our way of saying, Spirit, we need You to work. God, we need You to breathe. Because even in the darkest of situations, and even in the deadest of hearts, we can only begin to imagine what can happen when God breathes out His Spirit. The first boss that I really ever worked for, was a fascinating guy. He, his name was Steve. He became a Christian when he was 16. Uh, he was really keen to share with people in his life what he just discovered about Jesus, but it cost him greatly. His boss said to him at work, if you ever talk to me about this religious stuff, it's over between you and me. Your job's gone. His brothers disowned him. His parents wrote him out of the will. Over the years, Steve prayed for his family, but he essentially had no contact with them, even when his daughters were born. 25 years later, he gets a phone call out of the blue. It's his brother. His brother calls him up and says, oh, Steve, I just had to call you, because I've got to tell you, I've become a Christian. The next month, he gets another phone call. It's his mum. She says, Steve, I had to call you. I've become a Christian. And you know what? Your dad started coming to church too. Can these bones live? Can this city live? Can our families live? Can our workmates live? When God breathes out His Spirit, dead things come to life. Let's pray to the God who breathes. Our Father, we thank you for this picture, this picture of what you are doing through your Son, Jesus. Thank you that you breathed into His dead body and you brought Him back to life, having conquered our sin, conquered our death, and giving us hope. Father, thank you that by your Spirit you've breathed into our hearts and you've brought us to know you and trust you and live And Father, we pray for our city and for our world, for our families, for our streets. Father, we pray that you might breathe out your spirit, that you might raise up an army for your son. Father, this only happens as you breathe. So we come before you and we pray that you would breathe. Breathe through our words, breathe into people's hearts. However you do it, please we ask that you might bring people to life by your spirit. Amen.